Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 12th, 2018. You're listening to the greatest poker cast ever made. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Today is one month that I've been sick. Wow. Don't I, don't I sound awesome? Round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very impressive, sir. I have uh, I've never got more than one day being sick, so uh, you are you are blazing trails for Anti Up. Ah, uh, you've been sick more than a day. No liar. You liar to the Anti Up Nation. No. <clears throat> yeah, I'm always sick. Source. I used to. I mean, I for a long time there I wasn't sick, and then but once I get it, it just sticks with me. I don't know. If, when I was a kid, I had asthma and stuff, so it sticks with my lungs. I don't know what it is, but I'm tired of being sick. Cut my head off. Twelve years a day, sir. <coughs> no, no problems ever. I gotta take up drinking. You do? I do. I, that's it. I think the alcohol would burn all those whatever they are off my out of my lungs, and I'm gonna take it right after this show. I'm gonna get drunk. Yeah, go get some of that uh, Johnny Walker White Walker uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, with a glow in the uh, freezer um, label. Do they have like a root beer version? Uh, you could probably mix it with root beer. That would be tragic on all kinds of levels. But no, I don't want to mix it. I want them to make it for me. <laughs> root beer scotch. Okay, oh boy. <laughs> all right, definitely time to move on to the poker part. All right, let's do that. <laughs> all right, we all know that poker and chess have at least one thing in common. They are games of skill. Tell that to the legislators. <laughs> um, now poker pros Daniel Negreanu and Liv Bory are crossing over into chess for a five-game hand-in-brain match this weekend. Each will have a chess master as a teammate. The chess masters will pick which piece to move, and their poker counterparts will decide which specific piece and what square to move it to. It's a publicity stunt for PokerStars and Chess.com, which is holding a contest for the public to design games that combine elements of poker and chess. More than 70 games were submitted, and the final six have been chosen. Is this like uh, they're puppets of these chess masters, and they're just laughing at them from the you know behind well, the scenes? Or I mean, almost. It, it would be like uh, Pinocchio if Pinocchio actually had a choice in something. <laughs> what are you saying? That Pinocchio is predestined to grow uh, well, a nose? No, I don't know saying, what you're saying. Let I me. Mean, well, yeah, when he broke out of the chains and got his freedom, that's a different story, but. You know, when he's being uh, manipulated by, what, what, Gestapo? What's his name? First of all, okay, they were strings, not chains. <laughs> well, it's more dramatic to say breaking out of chains. They make a break out of strings. No strings on me, that stupid song, you know? Breaking the chains! <laughs> Don't make me cough. <laughs> I gotta hold the mute button all day, all day today, so don't make me. Uh... Uh, but no, I, I think this is interesting. So if, if people didn't understand what I just said, so when it's uh, Daniel Negrano's turn, and I forget which chess master is his partner, the chess master will say, "Move the pawn," 
And then Negrano will decide which pawn to move and where to move it to. So there's a little, there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? Because obviously if you were the chess master and you say move the queen, now there's one piece that your partner can move, right? Right, right. Now. And then you're only at the mercy of them figuring out the right place to move it to. But with the pawn, there are like, what, 40? I don't know. There's, like there's eight. But listen, listen, <laughs> how does this, how does this help? Like I, that, I think how it helps is it shows that there's skill on both sides of it. So it's not just knowing which piece to move; it's knowing where to move it to. So this is kind of like the Survivor Challenge, Blindfold Challenge, except these are all smart people and not idiots. Right, right. So, right. Um, so yeah, you could bark out the orders all you want, but you're dependent on the person uh, down on the ground to actually go where you tell them to go and do it the right way. So. Um, so if I'm the chess master here, part of my thought process and part of the skill involved in this demonstration is I obviously know the right piece to move and the right place to move a duke in every situation because I'm a chess master, right? Yeah. But I now I have I'm at the mercy of my poker um, person to understand when I say pawn which pawn it is and where to move it to. So perhaps there might be situations. You know, if they get into this and they're not on the same page, teammates, right? That the chess master might decide bishop when really they want to move the pawn because there's less chance of air, right? Yeah, I guess so. That's weird. The thing about it is, like, there's one that this doesn't, like, you can't do this in reverse. Like, he can't be playing poker and then Daniel whispers in his ear and says, bet a chip. You know what I mean? The, there, there's no way to reverse this, so I don't know if there's going to be able to do it in kind. But I, I, the other thing is that I don't see how – I can see how this sort of proves – we already know that chess is a game of skill. So just barking orders in this uh, – actually, not orders, but sort of ambivalent orders. Is that the word I'm looking for? Ambivalent um, You know, you're giving him a suggestion of what he could do but he or she could do, and they have to still figure out from there, and that's what proves it. We already know that it's a skill game, so I don't know what this proves. Well, I don't think – this is not the uh, poker against the computer Right, scenario, right. Carnegie Mellon, right, where it was trying to prove, uh, try to solve poker, right? This is, as I mentioned, a publicity stunt. So they're just doing it so people will know that this they're, they're trying to come up with games that combine the two elements, which they'll eventually announce and then hopefully play. So it's it, it's a fun thing. I think you're you're putting too much um, oh, okay. too much pressure on on this right now. All so. right. Well, I'm I'm fine with it. I think it's it, it it's. It's it's something that they're akin to each other. They both are skill games. or are things you're setting people up for things. You're making specific moves. And while a lot of the moves in poker are subtle or can't actually be seen unless you tell them what you did to get them to call or bet or fold or whatever. Um, but they're very, very – they're similar games. It's one, a lot of times it's mono y mono as they say. So – um, it's a nice little marriage in that sense, and um, I just would rather just have them, I guess, play these six games that they came up with. Uh, well, that's probably going to happen <coughs> in the future. I yeah. Mean, um, or you could have them play a poker sit and go, and then face off with a round robin chess match. You know, but pretty well, sure we know how that's going to end, right? I mean, so. you you saw the Ocho, right? And they had the chess boxing. Yes. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, that's what I'm talking about. This that's what they should be doing poker boxing on the Ocho. Oh, uh, but no. Well, pairing off of something you said that I think is the other part of this. Now I don't know how much effect it would have, but but any time that we can combine poker with a game that people don't see as gambling, and show them in some way as being similar, that helps our cause for the people out there that say poker is just a uh, game of chance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I don't think anybody out there that has even the basic knowledge of chess will say that there's luck involved in chess, that it's not a skill game, right? Right. Um, Now, obviously, uh, there is no luck that I can think of in chess, right? It is all skill, where in poker, obviously, you you can't control the cards. So it's not a great comparison, but it's a... The more we can make people believe the poker is exactly like chess, the better I think it is for us in getting past the negative connotation that our game still struggles with, right? Yeah. If we could come up with a quick way for people to understand the mathematical side of poker, um, I think that they would, you know, they would, it'd be a lot easier for them to accept the fact that it's a skill game. You know, like that they can figure out the math, the poker odds faster you know if instead of having to show everybody the one in 14 chance of whatever you know something like that if you could do it quickly i think they would accept it as a skill game a lot easier than they do true one step at a time though sorry i'm I'm, i got the the mic on mute mute half the time here while we're talking because i'm gonna hack all over you and i don't want to do that so (laughs) sorry can't believe this a month later i'm still hacking into the microphone this is ridiculous um, but anyhow, so we'll see how this goes, and uh, we'll probably talk about it again next week if something new, if something interesting comes out of it. Yeah, if they re- or if they reveal the games, and it's something that you never know. It well, could be or a game monetized. Or, like yeah. Boxing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> All right, the second annual U.S. Poker Open will run February 13th to 23rd at Aria in Las Vegas. Uh, but Chris wants to know, is it really fair to call it an open, air quotes, when the cheapest event costs $10,000 and the main event is 100000 yeah, fair, fair question to ask. That's always bothered me. You know, even like the main event, you know, in the World Series, that, that was like the culmination. That was like, hey, you know what? We've got 50 events to try to build a bankroll or 30 events or back in the day, you know, two events or whatever. But, I mean, you've got these events that are all somewhat reasonable, you know, $1,000, 500 for the, you know, casino employees, you know. There are some events that are reasonable that you could sort of like, hey, if you strike it rich, then you got, you know, ten grand that you didn't have the day before. Now you can enter this, you know. it's To me, at $10,000, while it's still steep, seems a little more open than... The cheapest one being ten grand, and then it just an open means that it's open to anybody. But that, but if you say okay, the entry fee is a billion dollars, it's open. It's open. You know, <laughs> technically, it's open. You know, <laughs> uh, to me, it just, it just, and I'm, you know, I, I love anything that is promoting poker and bring back the U.S. poker, you know, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I guess when it was Trumps, it was the U.S. Poker Championships. I guess it wasn't really called the Open then, so this is a little different. But, I mean, anything that starts a new series and gets people talking about what we're doing now is, is cool, but it just seems odd to call it Open and then charge so much. <laughs> All right, well, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I will say this. I've always kind of chuckled over the 
the last word in any kind of poker thing or golf or anything really. <laughs> classic right? yeah yeah because you know i think people put all i mean I actually had some long conversations with people i'm like should we call it a classic should we call it an open should we call it and i'm like does it really matter <laughs> you know it's just whatever rolls off the tongue better to me because i'm sure back in the day and maybe there are some purists out there still do this you know understand the difference between open and invitational right, right. where you know, invitational, you have to be invited and open. It's open to anyone, which is your point here. But I think all of those terms have, like, lost their meaning now. I think you could put anything on anything. Uh, people don't care, particularly in poker. You know, I think you just show up and play. Um, you know, obviously it's a brand that they're trying to build. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, you're the average, you know, whatever the stat was back then, 95% of poker players are amateurs. Which means you've already priced them out of this, this yeah. entire. So yeah, so it's it's open, but to whom? And and it, you know, and the invitational thing. I don't think that's, I don't think that's lost its. I mean, if, if you in golf tournaments, if it's an invitational, it's clear that you're not playing in that event unless you were invited by or qualified through their standards. But I mean, yeah, we're we gonna start calling our. Hey, let's uh, call the Any Up Poker Tour Soiree at Thunder Valley. <laughs> You know, I mean, we're not going to start calling our events these weird names because we don't think they mean anything. People can have a, a nomenclature they're used to, classics and championships and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but what does classic mean? I know, I don't know. I does don't classic know. mean that you have to have done it for 12 years and so now it's a classic? I know, I know. Did it start in the 50s? Now it's a classic. But I, I do agree that open and invitational have a little bit more to them um and i don't know of any poker series that calls themselves an invitational so i mean that was probably a bad example to bring up yes they might i don't know just the, they might I'll, I'll do some research but it just felt funny when they called it an open and then i saw 10 grand was the cheapest one and i thought well who's it open to bill gates and elon musk well, it's open to you to come in and watch it and... <laughs> well they all are aren't they i mean I, <laughs> I don't know i mean that's one thing about poker there's never a price of admission to get it to watch so that's how many people listening to our show are going to enter a u.s poker open event seriously uh, um, i don't know it could depend on satellites too yeah i mean i'm sure they're running satellites it, but still it's just it seems like too if you're going to play outside your means and do that by entering with a satellite, you're probably going to take a chance at the world title, you know, and get a bracelet than you are going to play in an open. You know what I mean? It just, I mean, if that's, unless it's a time you can get off from work or something, it's just, just tough to, it should be like the U.S. Poker Classic or something. I don't know. It's well, just, I mean, I think here's the thing. If we were going to go and change it, I think what you really should be striving for is something that matches the uniqueness of this event, right? So we've already talked about that. The, the uniqueness of this event is to get in any door, it's 10K, and the, the main one, it's 100K, right? So, you know, high roller, super <coughs> bowls, all those things have all been used, but, you know, maybe it's maybe it's something that's just so elegant, right, that it's out of reach. I don't know. The White Glove Poker Open. <laughs> well, no, you can't use Open now. Oh, sorry. The U.S. Poker White Glove Soiree. <laughs> I, I, I'm struggling right now to come up with a good example of what I was talking about. But you know what I mean? I'm like, there, there should be a brand for these these high roller events that isn't high roller, which just doesn't work for me. Medium rollers. <laughs> Low rollers. The highest of high rollers. Uh, you know, elite maybe. You know, but then it just sounds so snobbish. 
Well, hey, that's your point, right? Yeah, I know. But I don't want to be snobs. I'm just saying that it's not open. You're I mean, swilling <laughs> Supreme Court justices can't afford this. <laughs> you have to be, you know, at a different level to be able to uh, get in here. So, yeah, so I, I don't think there's not a snobby way that is too snobby to describe that. Okay. And, and But I'm saying that's not a negative. I'm saying that's a positive, I think. You know, when you're when you're selling a Ferrari, right? You're not gonna like come on down Sunday. It's so funny that you said Ferrari because I was thinking of Ferris Bueller when he says they're so choice, right? Hey, choice, there we choice. Go. So there's your thing. So the U.S. poker choice. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. not, you know, not on the TV like with those little dancing air things going. Come on down, mention my name. We'll take 10k off of your property. <laughs> this is not the way they market it, right? They yeah, market right. it. In, more rarefied ways. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. If you're going to rename it, it needs to be in a rarefied setting. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. I agree. Like I said, I, I just, I, I, this doesn't feel like an open to me. That's all. <laughs> so, you think our listeners are wishing we went back to the either or from last week? Right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Annie updates the Deep Stack Charity Classic, which Annie Up has helped sponsor for many years, is returning November 4th, but in a new location. After playing in Daytona Beach, Florida since its inception, this year's event will be at the Isle Casino in Pompano Beach. Everything you loved about the rest of the event is more or less the same, and they've added a party bus to take players from Daytona and Orlando to the event. For more info, go to DeepStackCharityClassic.com. And here's where the Annie Up Poker Tour is going next. Pearl River Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th to November 4th. Viquiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, March 23rd to the 31st. Annie Up World Championship and the Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, uh, California in July. And then the Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino, also near Phoenix, hosts us November 11th to the 16th. Find we yourself in a... Open, what? Hold on. What, what we have an say? open, we have a championship, <laughs> we have a classic. Well, according to our file, we have a pooker open. I don't know oh, what a pooker sorry, is. What's a pooker open? <laughs> yeah, I know. We have an open. We I was just a... getting ready to say we don't have an open, but no, the one coming up is an open. Obviously. Yeah, we have an open. We have an open. We have a... far, See, far that's truly affordable. open. Far more affordable. Than yeah, affordable. totally open. All right, go ahead. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcastandandyupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from M-E-K. That's the initials, M-E-K. I wanted to ask about a tournament situation that has bugged me a bit, in part because I'm about to take my TDA certification test and don't see the topic addressed in their published rules. On two separate trips to Vegas casinos, I played in $75 to $100 Holden tournaments. These, understandably, have relatively short blind levels of 15 to 20 minutes, but in each one, there was a delay. For example, to combine to final table of nine with seven places getting paid, uh, where no play was being conducted, yet floor staff were not available or were simply unwilling to stop the tourney clock. One delay was for... Uh, was for just more than three minutes, the other nearly six. Both were late in the tourney, so the blind progression favored the larger stacks remaining. Are there any standards or hard rules about tourney clock management? It was frustrating as a player to have the late stages of the tourney affected so much by what 
looked to be something easy to take care of in a way that would be fair to all who bought in. All right, Elliot says, Many casinos pause their tournaments when combining down to one table, especially those that require all players to transport their chips in a rack. In Las Vegas, this is very rarely the case. Most casinos in Las Vegas let the players carry their chips in hand so long as the chips remain visible. Even so, it is generally a matter of courtesy to pause the clock when reducing to the final table. In all other situations, save for a redraw and reseating of multiple tables, the clock does not get stopped. Just because the table is breaking, it does not mean the clock must be stopped. When play is being held up on other tables at the direction of the TD, then the clock should be paused. If the tournament is not on a scheduled break and hands cannot be dealt or played, then the clock should not be running. Uh, you were right about that. As for, quote, the blind progression favor the largest stacks remaining, end quote, that is a tournament, that is in tournament play, that is a tournament play in a nutshell, early, middle, or late. As TDs, we are not overly concerned about the effect uh, the blind levels have on the stacks as we run tournaments fairly and efficiently. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I do think that everyone knows that getting that final table assembled takes time. Because it's like, all right, we're, we're final table. Everybody go to your, pick your seats, whatever. And by it's, some people take forever to stack their chips. Some people are, you know, slow moving or have something that causes them from moving quickly. Or meanwhile, you have short blinds, you know, the equivalent of one minute in a 10 minute, you know, blind level is the equivalent of a 10 minute, 100 minute blind level. You know, I mean, it's, that's a lot of time that, you know, you're taking away from someone. I think that they should be more cognizant of it. You know, there are no, but he's right. There are no rules that say you have to do it. I think that should be something. They should be saying, hey, I understand you're trying to get us out of here so you can turn the tables over and get cash games going or whatever it is. But at the same time, we paid our, you know, we paid for, to, and like he said at the end, as long as they're run efficiently and fairly, well, it's not efficient to not stop the clock to me. Well, a couple things. Uh, one, I want to congratulate MEK on uh, passing his TDA certification. Oh, good. So Yay. Clap, clap. Congratulations. Update. Breaking news. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is uh, there are two parts of the TDA. There's T TDA rules, and then there's a section on TDA uh, procedures, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't go back through and see whether maybe a clock management is in the procedures, even though it's not in the rules. So maybe it is there. Um um, I guess what I'll say is I think uh, that our our letter writer here kind of muddied the waters unnecessarily by mentioning the blind levels at the end. That gave Elliot the opening to remind us that uh, you know if you don't want a short stack, play better, which is always the case, right? Um, but I, I think the overall point, really, what we're talking about here is a properly run tournament. So. Um, and we've all been in these tournaments, and, he, and he's, you know, our letter writer is really honest about it. He's like, you know, hey, I'm playing in these smaller buy-in tournaments. Um, I don't expect a World Series, World Poker Tour level of attention from the tournament directors. Um, but I do believe that my money, my entry fee does justify constant um supervision of the TDs, right? And that's been a kind of a frustration for me, but and I also see from both sides, you know, when you go to some of these smaller rooms and these smaller tournaments, they don't have tournament directors. They have floor staff that is not only running the tournament, but also making floor calls and games or helping um, at the front desk or doing other stuff. And that's just a reality of a small room. 
Um, and generally the small rooms are, are doing smaller tournaments with smaller entry fees. So, you know, you get what you pay for at that point. But so, but at the same time, you know, what, what I would say is that when you get down to these end points where you know there are going to be cash outs, you're going to be breaking tables, you're going to be combining tables. If you are, if your attention as a poker room staff member is divided, you need to, at that point, now make the tournament your priority and let those cash game rulings and let that other stuff go until you get those tables broke. That way, um, you're on it all the time. And I think that's what he's talking about is sometimes the, the tournament staff wasn't even around. So, yeah. um, you know, and then it can get, you know, if, if you don't have proper procedures for, you know, high carding and, and then if you do need racks, getting racks out to people, I mean, that that's a frustration for me. They get high card, they give you your seat card, tell you properly that you can't transport chips without a chip tray uh, but they don't. You don't have a a tray there to move it with, right? So right. now I'm waiting on them to deliver something that they should have done before they high carded. That way I could grab my chips and move to the next table quickly. Um, so minor things, but but if you see them often enough, which I think is the whole reason that our letter writer wrote in, um, it does get frustrating at that point. So well, on behalf of the Annie Up Nation, I'll take offense at your st- statement about the uh, if you don't. Want to be short stack? Play better. <laughs> first of all, okay. Uh, first you of know, all, the short stack ninja. So I'm allowed to say that. The, yeah, but I mean, you know, <laughs> the hand before they break to the final table, our our hero here has ace ace. The other guy has king king. You have a bigger stack than him, but only by a thousand chips. And he raises, you re raise. He shoves. You're not going to fold ace ace, and then he flops a king, and you're short stack. All right, all right, all right. I know there's reasons you become short stack. <laughs> Thing to do with your play. My point is see, that there's no expectation <clears throat> that the clock should stop when breaking tables. But there you see, your comment an expectation that the tournament staff handles those situations as efficiently as possible. So, see, your comment is exactly the this whole problem in a nutshell. You weren't <laughs> paying attention to everyone in our audience. And you were not giving them the benefit of the doubt that they did play well, but were short stacked. Just like these people were thinking, "Oh, you're only playing in a twenty dollar turbo. You don't deserve my full attention, and you don't deserve the full ten minutes of your blind level because you didn't pay enough." No, they're these the people are the bread and butter of your poker room. They're the reason why you have a job. Give them the respect and the time they deserve. Just because they paid less doesn't mean that they should get less attention. Thank you very much. We have now, a brand new. <laughs> as a former, former politician, I will say that I did not say if your short stack played better. I said that Elliot said. I know, I know, but, but you said you'll <laughs> remind everyone of that. So, just that's not your job to do. We have a brand new O'Malley's move, and I don't like to say brand new because that's redundant. It's new, so here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We are still playing $2, $3, no limit hold'em at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. We have slipped a bit and currently sit with around 260. The blinds post, we're under the gun with the Ace of Spades, Queen of Hearts. Apparently, I still haven't learned my lesson with Ace-Queen offsuit in early position because I'm going to make a raise. I bet $20. The plus one folds, the MP calls, He's a pretty solid player who doesn't often step out of line, but he does have some gamble in him. 
He started the hand with around 250. It's folded around to the button, who also makes the call. He has about 250 as well, and is tight as a rock. I really hate being out of position here, especially against these two players. There's $60 in the pot, and the flop is the ace of hearts, seven of spades, six of diamonds. Well, we're first to act with 240 in our stack, and I think this is a betting scenario. It's possible we're ahead, and we'd like to get some value out of this hand. We make it $40 to go. Both players simply call. There's 180 in the pot, and the turn is the king of clubs. A proper bet here would be between 100 and 125, which is approaching 60% of our remaining stack. I'm going to check for pot control. The MP makes a $100 bet, and the button shoves. So it's back to us. We've invested $60 into this pot and currently have to call off all but $10 to win close to $600. What's the move? Once again, Hidden Immunity Idol is up for grabs. <laughs> it's no longer hidden. On the hand of the week. No, yeah, boy, yeah, wordiness is killing, right? All right. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm sorry. It's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Sam from Indiana is our contestant today on Hand of the Week. Yay. And he says, uh, this is the last hand of the night in a 1-2, four-handed no-limit hold'em home game with regulars. Wow. Four-handed. Usually people don't get a game going beforehand. They're like, eh, we need a fifth player. We're not playing. I, mad props, though, that they can keep a home game going with four, four hands. Yeah, four that's players. awesome. Now, now, maybe they started with more. It's the last hand of the night, so maybe it's whittled down. That's true, fun. too. That's yeah, true, too. But. All right. Um, he's providing chip stacks for everybody. So write these down, Chris. Okay. Uh, the button has uh, 225 of Skittles. Small blind has 525. The big blind, who is our hero, is 950. <coughs> Obvious brag. <laughs> and the cutoff, uh, who will be the villain in this hand, has 550. Is it 1-2 game? 1-2 game. That's yeah. a lot of money in a 1-2 game. Well, now we know that it started with 20 players. Had right? to have, right? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of angry people driving home right now. Right? Holy cow. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Uh, villain has first act in the cutoff and raises to 10. The button folds. The small blind folds. And it's on us in the big blind. But the king of hearts, king of clubs. So basically I wrote down that the small blind had 525 and the button had 225 for nothing. <laughs> well, no, we got to talk a little bit about how much money was on the table. So. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, all right, so somebody raised us. All right, so we're in the big blind, so we're even though we have a fantastic hand, we're not going to want to play out of position. So we're going to want to take control of this hand. Uh, I don't like a call. Uh, I like a raise. Probably make it thirty or forty, and then see if this villain's what he's got. You know what I mean? If if, if he just calls, then we'll move on. But if he re-raises, we're going to get it all in. I don't care how much money he has. <clears throat> Well, you should carry. He has five fifty. I know, but we have nine fifty. We have nine fifty. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, it, it's interesting the shorthanded like this, particularly now we got two players folding. Now it's almost like a heads up match, right? I mean, well, literally is heads up. So, um, so generally when you play heads up, you know, raises don't have the same effect as they do at a full table, right? So, yeah. it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In fact, it means you should because it doesn't get that. <laughs> that respect so you know uh we just need to get this um 
extremely likely we have the best hand here, right? So we need to get our opponent to commit as much money to this pot as possible. So um, I, I think you're right. A raise to 30 or 40 there um, will probably definitely get called. Might get re-raised, which would be great too, I think. So yeah. But uh, but I definitely want to get money in the pot here. I'm like, you know, because I, I see some of that. I mean, and, and some of the heads up play I play, there's times when you, you, you quit raising and you just try to let people like walk into a trap but i don't think that's the scenario here so i'm going to raise and, and get get my opponent to put some money in yeah i i agree i said about 30 to 40 yes all right our hero raises to 32 <laughs> that's, that's right inside there i don't know why he didn't go to the four it looks bigger <laughs> uh but anyhow 32 that's fine uh and the villain calls flop is the deuce of hearts five of spades eight of spades and we are first act. Uh, that was about forty something in the pot. So uh, sixty-four in the pot. How much? Six. Well, sixty-four plus the small blind, so sixty-five. Because we raised the thirty-two. Oh yeah, total. sixty-four, and then this, yeah. So oh, 60, okay, so sixty. So I'd bet about fifty. So more than that. So sixty-four, sixty-seven <clears throat> in the pot. Yeah, I'd bet about fifty. I guess. Actually, I'm sorry. I was right the first time. Sixty-five because we're the big blind. So all right. All so right. I'm sorry. You said what? I bet about fifty. That seems about right, right? Yeah, I control the hand. I've got a really good hand. This is a great flop for it. You know, I mean, yeah, could he have a set? Sure. But if we're playing four-handed and only two two people are in this hand and we have kings, so I'm not going anywhere. So I'm going to control the hand. I'm going to bet roughly what I should bet, roughly 50 bucks. I uh, like the same thing. I'm going to bet us bet right about a little bit less in the pot here because this is a great flop for us. And, uh and also a little dangerous because there's two spades there and we don't have a spade, so we're going to price him out of any kind of random spade draw we might have. Uh, all right, so our hero agrees with us, bets 52. Once again, missed that opportunity. Make it 54. <laughs> I could be able to sleep tonight. This is worrisome here. Well, maybe he doesn't want to intimidate him. Maybe he wants him to call. Two. Why won't you go all the way to four? But hmm. All right. Villain raises to 104. There we go. That's the way you bet. <laughs> and min raised to 104 to make it more intimidating. <laughs> Back to us facing a min raise. Uh, I'm not going to. You know, a lot of people do that because they want a free card. You know, they're trying to get that. You know, I even know you're min raise, and I know it's not limit holding, but you're still trying to, like, you're trying to get the person to, to call for the least amount of money and then be afraid of you. So that they'll check to you, and then you get the turn in the river basically for free if you want to hit that flush draw. If that's what the case is, and I'm not going anywhere, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna pop it again. I got no reason to not pop it. You want to make it 104? Okay, let's make it 200. See what you got. Yeah, really, only two types of hands here. I know it's four hands, but have us beat right. So yep. Set or or pocket aces. So um, I'm not particularly worried about either one of those here so uh, I, I think his min raise was a probing raise is what I kind of think just to see how serious we are about it which happens when your head's up or shorthanded like this so I'm going to let him know hey I got a hand so I agree go away. Yeah. at this point we got a lot of money out of this right now so I mean if we take it down now I'm not crying so um, I don't think I'm going to min raise so what would you say you're going to make it well, I mean, to me, making it 200 is not really a min-raise. A min-raise is to make it no, 156. Yeah. Yeah. I said like about 200 or so. No, a min-raise would be like 156. Yeah. That's, that's kind of is our hero's MO instead of yeah. 159. But. 
Yeah, I'm going 209. 209. There you go. I'm raising 209. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Our hero decides to call. Uh, I don't know if I like a call there. Kind of depends. So here's the thing on the turn. Are you going, if you if it's a safe card, if I bet back into him, that's fine. But if I if I'm intending to check, and you're right, then maybe he, he, you just give him the opening to check behind and control the pot and get another shot to beat you. So if you're on, if you're gonna call here, I think you got you got to do the your intention has to be bet the turn unless there's some a scare card there. Right. If you're not going to do that, then I think you need to do what we need to, what we said to do, which is raise. So I'm not disagreeing with you. All right. Uh, turn is the four of hearts. So our board now is deuce of hearts, five of spades, eight of spades, four of hearts, and we are first to act again. Yeah, I'm just going to shove. I mean, here's the deal. Now the board's gotten even more scary. Um, it's got more. I mean, if 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 he has aces, I mean, we're just we're gonna go broke anyway. Um, <clears throat> and it, the deal is here is that if he had some sort of suited ace, I highly doubt. <laughs> okay, ace tray of spades would be something we'd yep. be screwed on, but it doesn't seem like an ace tray of spades would call a big raise pre flop re raise. I think they might say, "All right, you got it, take it away." Um, <clears throat> and then on that flop. Maybe they do make the min race that that he did make, um, but I just don't feel like a that's a very specific hand that I'm trailing now. Um, other than it being a set, you know, I feel like we're still ahead. And if there's that much, so he we I guess the guy raised 104, so that'd be 208 plus the 60, so it's 300 a pot. We started with 900, so maybe I don't shove. Maybe I just make it 200 now. Well, but remember, I mean, your shove is. <laughs> The oh yeah, the, that's right. The effective stack. Sorry. So you had five fifty. So yeah, I guess I just shove, put them all in. Yeah. No, I think that's what you have to do here too. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, I would have rather raised on the flop, but we didn't. We got another fairly safe card with dangerous implications. This gets to the river, so I'm not going to check and let him check behind and beat me, suck out on me on the river. So yeah, put him to a test now. See what he's up for. All right, our hero checks. Uh, but the villain goes all in for his last four fifteen. Back to us, and I assume we know what we're doing, right? Yeah, I'm not folding. I mean, if he has a set, we have outs, believe it or not. Um, if he doesn't have a set, then Roy loses. Well, if he has either the two hands we talked about, a set or aces, we have outs, right? We're the same two outs. Right, we still have two outs. So, but and that's the thing too is unless it's unless it's a straight somehow. Which I doubt the guy is six seven or ace tray, but yeah, we're drawn dead. Or three six. So yeah, basically we're drawn dead if it's a straight. But if it's just a set, we have two outs, which sucks. You don't want to have to be calling with knowing you need two outs. But there is that chance of still winning. But I just feel like this guy has something like tens or kings. I mean, um, tens or jacks or queens or something, and thinks that it, even nines thinks his hands are good. The funny thing is that it, what does he think we have? Does he think we're bluffing? That you know we're betting and calling and raising and everything. And I mean. I don't know, yeah. but I, it feels like he's got something that's over eights. Yeah, I mean, if he had any of those hands that have his beats, I mean, we were going to lose our money anyhow. I mean, if he, if he literally has ace tray of spades, that's sick, but if he wasn't going to go anywhere with that hand. Would you lay that down with any raise that we made on that flop when no. you had all those outs? I wouldn't. So, no. No way. you know, at this point, you know, I mean, I guess there's a case to be said 
to be made that we didn't raise on the flop. So we do have an opportunity to get out of this hand if we really do feel that we're beat now. But, um, you know, shorthanded, this is what happens. You know, people wake up with big hands from time to time, and that's what happens. But most of the time they have very weak hands, and, and it's the pot goes to the person that bets the biggest amount. So I feel pretty confident right now that, that we, we're good. And if not, um, you know, <laughs> that's why you don't play shorthanded. So, I mean, you can't fold all the time shorthanded. Well, gotta, the good news is that you're the huge stack at the table, even if you lose his hand. I, mean, I don't know what the buy-in is. This, but, well, that's true too. Yeah, but, but uh, we're probably still winning for the night. So I would think we are. Yes. All right. Um, our hero says my initial <laughs> full thought is to fold. I basically can only beat a bluff, and I'm drawing dead to a straight. I decide to think a little bit to see if I can find a call of the overbet shove of four fifteen into a pot of two seventy-five. First, I count my stack to see if I will still be a winner for the night. If I lose, I will break even for the night. If I lose. I shouldn't take this into consideration, but I think a lot of recreational players do. Since it was the last hand of the night, I generally put everyone on a wider range than normal. I also had been three-betting quite a bit and playing pretty aggressive post-flop for most of the night. So I would have a pretty wide range from the villain's perspective. Villain plays pretty ABC poker. Villain plays fairly passive withdrawals and medium-strength hands and plays pretty aggressive with strong, strong hands. And very few bluffs. Shouldn't I have known all this information going into the hand? <laughs> I mean, why, why are you telling me all this stuff? Post? How people uh, present the information to us? So. They also learned here that he basically bought in for four hundred dollars in this home game. That's crazy. Oh, unless he bought in for two hundred, went broke, and then got it back somehow. Bought in. Yeah, I don't know, but wow. Uh, all right, he goes on to say the first tell was the flop raise. He put the chips in the pot very aggressively. I don't normally notice how people put chips in the pot, so it was definitely abnormal. Not a big total weakness. I just think it makes 8-8 eight, eight, and 5-5 five, five less likely. Villain's range includes a lot of top pair and over pairs, including ace-ace, king-king, and queen-queen. That would call a three-bet pre-flop and raise flop aggressively with Villain's play style. I looked at the Villain and asked if he wanted to call it or fold. He just stared back intense, intensely and didn't respond. This went on for a while, me asking questions without responses. Villain then got up after a while and went to the restroom. <laughs> While he's in the restroom, I turned my hand over to show the other guys. I waited for the villain to return and turned my hand back face down. When he came out, I again asked if he wanted to call. He finally answered and said, you, you do you, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what uh, the that hell does that question. mean? No, you, you do you, man. <clears throat> I do, do me. You. I do me. You do you. Uh, he says, that wasn't any help. I waited until he sat down. Then I turned my hand up. The reaction looked like genuine surprise. This finally changed my decision from a fold to a call. I asked one last time if I should call. No answer again. I gave the, well, I guess it's only money speech. Set my chips in the pot. And then I asked if he wanted to run it once or twice. Dylan quickly answered one time. And I thought bad news for me. River was the seven of clubs. Her final board was deuce of hearts, five of spades, eight of spades, four of hearts, seven of clubs. Dylan turns over the queen of diamonds, queen of spades. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's not – he said earlier that you can only beat a bluff. That's not necessarily a bluff. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. If I had queens there, I would have thought I had the best hand. Yeah, right? that's not a bluff. That's the, It's sad that four-handed last hand of the night, kings up against queens, but that's – Even jacks, tens, or nines wouldn't be a yeah, bluff. Yeah, those aren't bluffs. You know, you could beat those hands. Uh, it's just shocking that it happened four-handed. Um, and it's shocking he ran it once knowing that he had to get a two-outer once. And didn't want an extra chance at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I knew my opponent had kings at that point, I would run it 18 times. Yeah. 
get my money, especially because you're going broke. Run the deck dry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until I get my money back. Get a canasta deck out there. Wow, that was shocking too. Uh, I mean, the queens played it exactly probably the way queens would play it, other than maybe popping it again pre-flop to make sure we were we were beat or not. You know, when we made it thirty something, maybe he makes it sixty or something, and then when they shove on me, then I'm thinking about it. You know, but <clears throat> other than that, I mean, uh, our guy bets the flop. We with queens raise, but the min raise is interesting. Get a call on the turn, they check to us. So now at that point, if I have queens, do I what do I, do I really shove with queens there? I don't know if I should have shoved with queens. You know, it was only 260 or so in the pot, and I got 415. Maybe I make a $160 bet there. You know, I don't know if I need to shove all 415 with that. It's a wet board. I and think I had to because we, we just talked about how dangerous <laughs> the board just got. I mean, now you had two flush draws out there. Straight was already there. Possibility of another straight getting there. Yeah, yeah that's that's the time you have to get the hammer down there. So yeah, it's just a lot of money. I mean, yeah, and I because before and we showed we were... in this hand too. So you know, at that point, you know, I mean, that, that's why he was generally shocked that we had kings because I think we played this week on the was it the flop or turn turn. It, it was a it yeah, was right? well yeah we bet the flop but then only called the raise the uh, turn we bet it weak yeah we checked um, like yeah I, I guess when we were analyzing it from. Um, Sam's point of view, and I was saying, you, you know, you might as well shove because of the the effective stack. I was thinking the effective stack was like three hundred. When I saw he had four hundred, I said, still said shove, but that is that does seem like a lot. It, it, you know, you could bet an effective bet there is still one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty on that turn, and you don't have to bet. It's not even fifty percent of your stack. So, but I, you know, either way, I, I don't think it, it's splitting hairs. Probably either way. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure this money was going to get in no matter what happened and who did what here. The only thing that would have saved getting all the money in here was an ace falling, which I think would have been fascinating, actually. Yeah. Um, to see how that would have changed the dynamic of this hand because neither opponent wanted to see an ace, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, check, 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 check. It's probably what would have happened if it turned on the turn. Probably, probably would have slowed down all the action, right? Yep. I'm really shocked that we checked the, the turn, though. You know, because well, it, not because of the way we played the flop, but again, that's what I said. You know, it's it, there did. I can't see too many players making that call on the flop and then betting the turn. It doesn't make much sense. That's why you should. Most players would probably re-raise on the flop. So, yeah. Well, you know, it is a little more confusing to your opponent to call and then bet out of the turn because now they have to think that that turn card helped you. And in this case, I mean. It, it would have worked to our detriment, right? Because now the queen queen's got to think that we had the ace tray and got there. It might not have. We may not have got all the chips in at that. No, point. you're right. Because then, it, then we called the bet, but right. it called all the chips off. It may not have called at all. So, um, but that would be the power of the, the calling on the flop and then betting the turn. Is now you really confuse your opponent and he has to look at the board. And we had a card that actually helped that sales pitch a little bit. Yeah. You know, something else yeah. came that wouldn't, that would have been tougher. But, um, all right. So, our hero finishes by saying, I'm not sure if I should have bet the turn, but I think if the villain would have, wouldn't, would have shoved on me, the call would have been more difficult, even though the odds would have been a lot better to call. Also, this hand, uh, would have been a lot more standard if he would have just four bet me pre flop. I guess some people just like to make things difficult. <laughs> yeah. It it is interesting that 
I mean, a lot of people do that too. Like especially if they have aces, they'll just call if somebody re-raises them. You know, th- that happens a lot because then people think, well, there's no way he would just call if he had aces. So they try to disguise him that way. Beforehanded, queens are like aces. You know, when you got two guys out of the hand, oh, it's, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like that's as strong as aces is, you know, is going to get. I there. mean, really, almost any pair is a pretty, really strong hand for yeah, it. Yeah. Especially when you get two other people out because that's hard. I mean, now, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, in the heads up, there's a lot of aggressive betting with ace highs. So, you know, a pair is pretty strong, and queens are just fantastic. So I kind of feel bad for the guy here, but um, feel feel happier for our hero. So, Well, here's a tip, Annie Nation. When you're behind and you have one, not two outs on one card to come, and the guy says, hey, you want to run it twice? twice. <laughs> you run it twice. Twice. Get another yeah. chance to win that money. I don't care if you if you spike a queen on the first one, and then I don't care. You You run it again. Run it again. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. Yeah, I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.